Hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini. My guest today is the graceful renegade, Grace Schuessler. Uh, she's a woman who had it all, and she decided to give it all and start traveling the world on her motorcycle. Where have you heard that story before? Uh, she's a published author. She's a videographer. And she talks about how that really saved her life, but how motorcycles just came into her life and she got bit by the bug. And now all she does is uh, write about motorcycles and travel around the world. And we talk about her destinations, what she wants to do, and just life in general. I think you're going to really love her. Enjoy my friend, Grace Schusler, the Graceful Renegade. Excited. Wyatt, I'm so excited. I'm serious. When are you not? I know, I'm always excited, but I'm talking to Grace Schusler, the, the Graceful Renegade. How can I not be excited? <laughs> One, two, three. Hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini. And I am so excited to have this guest on. I mean, I was, like I always, always stalk through the Instagram. And I found the Instagram and I was so excited. But then I found out she don't like pancakes. She takes waffles over pancakes. And then I go, why even talk to her? I mean, but I, but I already had her schedule, so I guess I got to talk to her. But why don't you like pancakes? Why don't you like pancakes, Grace? It's not that I don't like pancakes. It's just a waffle preference, I guess, is how I would put it. Like, if I'm going to be carving up in the morning, it's waffles, not pancakes. So, yeah. Why waffles over pancakes? Like, like, what did pancakes ever do to you? I think it's the sugar thing. I think it's just like an overload of sugar. Whereas with waffles, there's just a little bit less. I don't know. It's just, I don't know what it is. It's just, I guess it's just me. So well, being there, we talked about you being German and I, you know, I know a little bit of German. I have two German aunts and I love German pancakes only because they put all that powdered sugar on top of it. And oh, I, yeah. I love sugar. So I, I, I can't believe I'm more German than you at this moment. You are right now. Yeah. And it's, I'm mildly ashamed, but I do love beer. So I think that that kind of adds back to me for that. So yeah, I'll take that one. We're going one and one right now. We're going one and yeah. one. I, lo I love the, the post today. It's so weird when I see, I saw your post that I go, I guess we're talking about this. That was the one where you're naked, <laughs> yeah. you're naked on the motorcycle. And it's like, I was like, okay. And it's funny because like, I always, you know, whenever I have a, a female guest on, like I always try to keep everything just like all business when I you know ask for if you want to be a guest I don't want to leave any wiggle room where you think I'm a creep or whatever right. but I saw that post I was like okay I guess we're talking about this so yeah. so, so where was that shot taken of you being butt naked on so, a motorcycle um yeah so um one of the reasons I posted that shot actually today too is because uh it was from the last photo shoot I did when I was in Oregon which was a little over a year ago and I just got back to Oregon this week so it's nice to be back, but, um, yeah, one of the reasons I do random posts like that, which they're not really, uh, planned far ahead, but every once in a while, I like to throw something into the algorithm. That's going to mix it up a little bit. And, uh, photos that show a little bit more tend to be, uh, ones that get a little more, uh, popular and more views, et cetera. So, you know, it's not really my usual MO, but you know, mixing it up, keeping it fun. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. And honestly, I was, I was showing my producer Wyatt this. You look a spitting image. I mean, of my ex-girlfriend. Well, the one that really, really broke my heart. I mean, you look exactly like her. If it's a passing glance, it's more like even just looking at you now, you look just like her. And I show my producer, he goes, oh my God, yes. So if I just break down and start <laughs> crying right now, then, you know, just, just keep talking and I'll get over it. I promise I will do my best to not make you cry. I hope that that's accepted. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We blondes break a lot of hearts. We try not to, but I think it just happens uh, without uh, without us realizing it sometimes. So, you know what's yeah. you know what's funny? She had the exact same cockiness. I swear to God, we were we were <laughs> we were sitting there, we were laying in bed one time, and I swear she goes, "Why do you want to fall in love with me? I break men's hearts." And I was thinking this this was at least <laughs> this was at least fifteen years ago. Now, and, and at the time, you know, I was nobody's backup. You know, I was I was I was the black Tom Brady myself, and I was like, "Are yeah. you serious?" And then about three months later, I was like, why are you doing this to me? And so, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I promise I will do my best to uh, not break your heart. How does that sound? <laughs> don't, don't, don't make a promise you can't keep there, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> All right, deal. So where in Oregon are you at now? Where in Oregon are you at right now? Um, I'm in Bend, Oregon. So I'm in Central Oregon. Uh, I lived here for a number of years before I left last summer to do my year on the road. So I spent the last year living off my motorcycle and traveled North America, traveled through Southeast Asia for a couple months and 
uh, just kind of been a motorcycle nomad. And uh, but this was home before I left. So I actually just finished a really big videography project. I helped film a documentary about a group of veterans riding up to the Arctic Circle and back. And for the next few months, my life is going to revolve around editing and producing that documentary. So I just came back to Bend for the fall, I guess, early fall to uh, get some work done and just get some good writing in. So, you know, what's funny is I spent a lot of time in Bend, Oregon. I remember I, I took some one-nighters out there. I had a buddy who worked out there and I stayed with him for like about a week at a time. I did like a, a month of uh, the Pacific Northwest and it was so therapeutic. People don't realize once you get to the West, it's so spread out, but it's so, it's, it's, I love it. There's nothing yeah. to me. There's nothing better. I mean, in October, the way the skies are and then, it, you know, it gets darker early, but it's still more beautiful. And then you they take those beautiful rides along like the the lakes and the. it's just yeah. beautiful and therapeutic. And I, that's the first place I went hiking was in Bend. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I I'm, mean, the one thing that's great about Oregon, particularly central Oregon, is we have the best terrain in the U S because you have your mountains, you have your mountain lakes. Um, obviously Mount bachelor is a really big ski mountain, but then we're also two hours from the Pacific Northwest rainforest. Um, where that's the only rainforest in North America. Um, and then we're at high desert too, where there's a lot of volcanic activity. So you have the Alvord desert, which is really cool. Um, you can get out into the Oregon badlands, which is also really cool. Just beautiful juniper trees, sagebrush. It's awesome. And, uh, you just don't get that a lot of places. It's absolutely one of the most scenic places I have ever lived. And I just love it here. It's amazing. So growing up with you, what was it like growing up for you? I mean, were you like a rambunctious kid? Were you a sports kid? Were you a nerd? I mean, I know you're yeah. an author. So well, yeah, what did I'm, you do? I'm a nerdy Midwest kid. Um, I grew up around St. Louis, actually. And I, um, I was definitely a super nerd um, until I got to college. But I played high level basketball all through high school and for the first part of college. So I was an athlete. I did the the high level athlete thing and um, I loved it. I, it's just, it's one of the reasons why into adulthood, I obviously took a lot of what I learned during those years and uh, where hard work pays off. You learn that being an athlete, but um, yeah, I, I was always a little bit of uh, a rebel in the sense that I always did my own thing. And that's how I've, ended up here essentially yeah <laughs> what, what, what position did you play in basketball what position um I actually had a very interesting position I could rebound uh pretty well and I also could shoot three pointers so I was a rotating three four position yeah. oh shit so you were like a combination of kind of like a kind of like a yeah. Steph Curry meets uh yeah. the other guy I don't know uh yeah. Clay Thompson so you could do it all yeah 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 that was the idea yeah and I was always the person you wanted on the free free throw line at the end of the game, because that's all I did for a lot of my early years of uh, high school was just shoot free throws. And as a result, I, that was my thing. So, yeah. Well, what, what, now what town did you grow up in? Cause I'm, I'm, I grew up around Oklahoma. So I know that area. Okay. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. So just outside of there, kind of in, um, I guess around Ch the Chesterfield area, if you're familiar. Yes. I know uh, that area. Yes. I yeah. went up there and wrestled up there. So yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Fun suburban area. It was great growing up. Um, I have an older sister. She was also an athlete. She actually played Division One water polo. So we we were big time athletes, big time nerds, and um, and really enjoyed growing up there. It was kind of like idyllic childhood type of thing. So yeah. And also, you love what I love about you is you describe your love for reading and novels. And I and that to me, and there's nothing wrong with Kindles. I think it's great to be part of that generation. But to me, there's nothing like yeah. reading a book, smelling that book and dog oh, earing yeah. it. Is that the best when you dog ear a book and come back to it and open up? It sounds like nothing, but it's everything. It's everything. I totally agree with you. Yeah. I, I guess one of the things that a lot of people don't know about me is I'm actually a published author. I have three published books. I'm super proud of them. They never really went anywhere, but uh, I was an English lit uh, major in college. And my original plan was actually to get my PhD and teach at university. But Unfortunately, one of the things that uh, I realized when I was about to graduate was I didn't really have that personality type of staying in one place forever. Obviously, now I can see that uh, right in front of my face after spending a year on the road. But um, so I kind of gave up on that dream and jumped into just kind of working through uh, marketing and management and business and eventually got myself here. But I am a huge book nerd. I probably read a book a week. If not, I listen to a book on tape every week. And uh, 
there is nothing like having books. I mean, I don't have them here with me, but I have a storage unit full of books that are dog-eared, highlighted notes in them. I just don't think there's anything better than that. So what what was the author that really caught your eye? Like, I mean, growing up, there's always that one thing that happens in your life where you go, bam, like I remember getting a Z50 in third grade and that started. So what was the book or what was it that started for you? Um, it's, That's actually a really good question. I haven't thought about it in a minute, but one of the first books that really sparked the, I guess, the inner love of literature for me was actually Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, it just that like gothic horror novel and that kind of intrinsic question of like, who is actually the monster, the man or what he created? I don't know why, but I guess I think I read that around age 15 or 16 for the first time. It's still one of my favorite books. It just completely captivated me and sparked that diehard love of all things books. So yeah, I, I think that that was probably the catalyst for everything after that. I know with it because you could identify in some way with one of the characters, like what spoke to you specifically? I think the, um, the question really that, that got to me was, uh, the misconception that a lot of popular culture had about Frankenstein being the monster, but Frankenstein is actually essentially the doctor and creator. Yes. And, I love the idea that like, if you actually go to the book versus what we've seen in a lot of the movies, the monster is actually the doctor and how he completely disintegrates his own life based on, on his own issues. And realizing that it just, it just kind of propelled that question of human, I guess, dichotomies of like the light and dark we all have within us and what happens sometimes when we aren't able to deal with the darker sides of ourselves and how it can kind of derail a lot of the pieces of who we are. So at a, a young age, I fell in love with that uh, concept and also just kind of that nature that Mary Shelley had as an author in a time when she hung out with a whole bunch of male writers and she ended up writing this incredible um, like really uh, life-changing book for society and for for just anybody who picks it up. It just, it blew my mind. It was very cool and it, it just totally sucked me in. I think with, with your love of writing and being a videographer and the, the times that we're in now, and I always say, if you don't watch TV, it's a better time. If you don't watch TV and get sucked into that dark hole, it's a better time. And I think for what you do, I could see you doing a series where it's like Scooby-Doo meets David Carradine's Kung Fu, where you ride into a town by yourself. You like that rebel that rides into town. You know, like back in the 50s and 60s, whatever, you know, you go into town, you get the leather jacket, the guy with the leather jacket on, and the girls are like, yeah. oh my God. And you know, it's like, he's the rebel, kind of like a Fonzie, but then you leave town like, oh, come back. Where now the tables are reversed and you're the one who rides into town. You're hot. You come in and guys are trying to hit on you. But you, for some reason, you find like a, a like a, a, a mystery while you're in that town and you solve yeah. it. And it's all always do to fall in love with you and you have to break their heart as you leave. And I think that would be, you should write something like that. I love that idea. I mean, also like so many people these days, I find true crime and just those kind of mysteries of, of uh, humans uh, to be completely fascinating. So I could definitely fall down that rabbit hole pretty fast. <laughs> it actually, um, that just reminded me and I'll just share this story. So I was in Southeast Asia for three months uh -huh. um, and I traveled through Vietnam, Bali and Thailand. But one of the most incredible parts of that was I feel like I had that almost every day in Vietnam because I'm 5'10 and I'm blonde and I'm on a motorcycle that's fully loaded with gear and I'm fully geared up. And I would ride into towns where they obviously have seen tourists before, but not many tourists like me. I'm obviously also very tatted up. So I would get off my bike and people would just come over and just they stare, you know, and they want to take pictures and they don't really understand what the heck you're doing there. But very much that vibe of like stranger in a strange land that I actually like as a traveler, I love because it submerges you in, in exactly where you are and in the culture there. But um, it does also take a toll after a while when you feel like you're constantly like um, like a part of a circus, almost like a traveling circus, rolling into town and having a being a spectacle, you know. So, well, yes and no, but then also it's like no offense, but you know you do have the the tats on your back, and then you have to really yeah. go like this to read them. So if you're in line, <laughs> I mean, am, am I not gonna look like you know they're they're reading so like am I not gonna look at them and read them and you know like and then ask you about them? So it's like oh, uh, it happens all the time. I'll be in a coffee shop and I'll have a tank top on and 
it's um I'll have just like a woman behind me and she'll just go wait 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 don't move yet and she'll just be like can I I'm just finishing reading your back and it always makes me laugh because it probably happens once a week um it's it's just uh the quotes on my back are a lot of quotes from English literature and uh and everything else so it's not just kind of your typical stuff it's you know Oscar Wilde Mary Shelley um, a lot of those type of people and so uh as a result people are fascinated by it it's kind of cool favorite Oscar Wilde quote Oh, I'll tell you, man, if you I, tell me yours, I was going to say, I don't really have a favorite of his off the top of my head. Um, I mean, Oscar Wilde's writing was just so profound in a time when people didn't quite accept it because um, they didn't accept him. Um, but do you have a favorite Oscar Wilde quote? Be yourself because everyone else is already taken. Yeah, that's because such a good one. I, I was in a, um, in a comedy troupe and we were trying to come mm-hmm. up with something. And, and, you know, long story short, it was like we were like, you know, four black comics but we didn't and nothing's wrong with it but we we weren't you know from the hood or whatever or very street and we were just who we were but so we got called you know got called sellouts because we were playing mainstream rooms or whatever and we had but we always stayed who we were and then my friend found it and said be yourself everyone else and we took that quote because it just hit us right on the nose and that's why i always loved what he did yes absolutely i mean and that's that's so many um artists of that era too uh i mean one of my favorite quotes that is on my back is a Vincent van Gogh quote, which is for my part, I know nothing with any certainty, but the side of the stars makes me dream. And I think that just embodies so much of that era, which is you had these incredible people that had these visions and these ideas and their art. Um, but the times they lived in kind of, I mean, like any era of time, ours is this way now as well. You never know what's going to happen. There's a certain level of uncertainty and impermanence with everything. And the world, especially now is constantly changing. And the amount of media and news and things we have that shift every five to 10 seconds right in front of our faces on our phones is just, it's so substantial and it's mind blowing at times. So it's, it's kind of, cool to go back and see how relatable even those moments for them feel to us. That's why I feel on it when you disconnect. There's no better disconnect to me than just being on a motorcycle. And for you to be an adventure rider, that has to be even better. I mean, just to ride, period, is great because you get to clear your head and like, you know, the sound of the bike, even if you have your Bluetooth going with music, there's just nothing. I, I don't have to tell you that, but it's nothing better than being on a bike. But just the fact that you, like, for you, especially on the, those trails where you go, you've been to the Arctic Circle, you've been to Asia, I've seen where you're going in Vietnam and, and you've, you know, you're taking your spills, but is there nothing better than disconnecting on a motorcycle? No, I mean, there's a reason why I love it so much and why I've essentially started to build a career around motorcycle riding and travel. It's because there's nothing better than being on a bike. You're so utterly, uh, I guess, in your environment at that point, you're exposed to everything. You're not in a car, you're not in a box, you are out in the elements. So if it's hot, if it's cold, um, if the sun is setting, if it's raining, um, you know, if there's people out and around, if there's animals out and around, um, if you're on a trail or you're off-road on a gravel road, you're so present because you have to be, you are 100% there. And I think especially as a traveler, you know, obviously my love of motorcycles grew from road riding, but uh, when you take that to travel in the next level, you just experience so much more and you actually feel integrated in the world around you in a way that you don't get doing anything else. Where where the first, what was your first motorcycle? How did that come about? And what was that journey to where you are now? Oh, it's such a, it's actually a great story. Uh, So I got my first motorcycle when I was 22 and there's a great story behind that. So I was a huge lover of badass women when I was young. So like Trinity and the Matrix, you know, Lara Croft. Um, I also uh, loved uh, Lisbeth from the girl with the dragon tattoo. Um, And all these, all these women are mainly tattooed and ride motorcycles and are are badass. And so when I was 16, 17 years old, I was dying to get a bike, but my father's a physician and my mom owns a small business. Neither of them have really ever been on motorcycles and they were adamant that I didn't, but the promise that they made me uh, give them was that I would not buy a motorcycle or ride a motorcycle as long as I was still being educated. So essentially, as long as I stayed in school, no bike. I graduated from college on a Thursday 
And that Saturday, I got my first endorsement class in, graduated Sunday, bought a bike the next week. Yes. And yes. the look on my parents' face, but I and I I hated to surprise them, but that was the deal. And I think they went into it obviously with this idea that after a while I would give up on it, but you know, I didn't. I mean, to me, getting a motorcycle was a quintessential piece of who I thought I was as a person. Um, but out of respect and love to my parents, I just said, you know what, I'll wait, I'll bide my time. Um, you can imagine how they feel now with me having a career where I ride motorcycles hours every day. They're not the biggest fans, but they're super supportive and they hate when I tell that story because <laughs> it's um, they feel like they were holding me back. But uh, no, in general, I'm very happy I started riding at that age because yes. Yes. I rode smart. I never did anything stupid. Uh, the stupidest thing I ever did was last year off road and I almost died. And thankfully, I'm still here. But um, I really got a good foundation and base beneath my feet of how to operate a motorcycle, how to be comfortable on one. And the love has not died since then. Honestly, I I, I cannot begin to tell you how I wish that it, it was mandatory for people to take that the safety class on a bike before you get a bike. I mean, I took a safety class for like insurance reasons. I remember watching a woman who, who thought she wanted to ride and during the you know, safety class drills, she fell over and her face was just ghostly white. And I don't know what happened to her after that. I don't know if she ended up getting a bike, but it was good that she saw what it was about. But I just remember seeing yeah. that look of horror on her face. And I mean, I think we do a disservice to motorcyclists when we just and they sell them a bike and that's it. You know, they don't, I saw a dude who just got the bike and I go, do you have a jacket? And he, and he looked at the sales guy and he goes, I need to get a jacket. And then seriously, I go, you got any gloves? And the guy goes, do I need gloves? And then the sales guy goes, we'll say you gloves. I was making a cell phone. I, to the point I looked at the sales guy, I go, Hey, do I get a percentage of this? Do I get a, a commission from this? I was doing yeah. his job for him and the guy, and I was, I hope he's still around, but they just want to make the sale and they don't care about the person. And that's my yeah. biggest thing with, you know, that's why I love when you take the safety course, because that still rings in your head when you ride today. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that I struggle with personally, um, and I see this occasionally when I'm in different states, but the no helmet thing, it Crazy. just it drives me nuts because, yes. um, you know, th if this is gone. You don't get anything else. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of, uh, when it's warm, if I'm just doing a road ride around town, I won't have a jacket on. I always have gloves and boots and a helmet on. Um, but if I'm doing any type of highway riding, any off-road riding, I'm in full gear all the time. And I hate going home to, I'll go visit my folks in Missouri and it's like Harley heaven there, obviously, uh, but there's just no helmets. And yeah. it gives me anxiety looking at people riding without them. Cause it's just, I'm worried. <laughs> but then again, I did see you on your on your Instagram with no helmet. I don't know where you were. I think you were in the salt flats or whatever. But and I was yes, like, hey. that was um, and that I, I tell people that was about six hours after I had my wreck. Um, oh. So I got into a wreck last year in that on my way to the Albert Desert. And it was actually the week before I left Oregon. And at this point of riding, I had I had hit what I still think of as the pinnacle of my riding skill set with ADV riding. I was fearless and nuts and really enjoying it. Uh, full gear, always like safe at that capacity. But I was ripping down the Alverd uh, Highway out there, which is really dense gravel. You get a lot of ruts with deep gravel in it where you can lose your front tire. And I was having the time of my life riding out there going 65, just gunning around. I had two of my best girlfriends in their cars behind me. And I just hit a rut, lost the front wheel and made the mistake of braking instead of throttling through. And I wrecked going 65. Oh. And I, one, can't tell you how bad that hurt because I still cringe thinking about it. But um, thankfully, other than very bad road rash, I had a very bloody torso. Um, I actually gravel get up under my suit, which doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, I had a concussion and I had um, a lot of bruised and sprained ribs. The worst was I actually have, uh, it's about healed now, but I have a hairline fracture down my scapula that they essentially really couldn't do much about other than just tell me it was going to hurt for a while. Um, but I was out in the middle of the desert at that point and I was alive and I had seven miles to get to our campsite, the turn for our campsite. And 
you know, once you kind of recover, I got my breath back. It took like 40 minutes, like just to kind of physically recover. I chugged some water and I got back on the bike because I knew if I didn't get back on the bike, I might not ever get back on the bike. It was one of those wrecks that just was, I knew it was going to get in my head. And so I wanted to do as much as I could to alleviate that ahead of time. Now, once I got to the campsite and got my boots off, I, you know, did probably did not uh, do myself any favors by riding around like a maniac for a little bit. But I had that moment with myself where, you know, in the Albert, there really are no laws. And I wanted to push myself a little bit to ride and feel better. And I did. And that's the one time I think there will ever be a video of me riding around without a helmet on out there. But it was worth it because uh, I think I was able to at least maintain enough confidence that I wanted to keep off-road riding. And now here I am. So it well, was a good call. Well, see, now that I know the story, now I feel bad for giving you <laughs> shit. Now, yeah. You know, it's, it's a long wraparound story, but uh, it's, no, it also it's, is just very fun for me because I was out, uh, it was my last weekend in Oregon and knowing that I wasn't too traumatically injured other than being in an excruciating amount of pain. Um, you know, I was out there with such a fun group of people. I wanted to just try and get through it. So I definitely had some bourbon that weekend numb <laughs> pain and, um, and got through, but, uh, yeah, uh, it was worth it. Yeah. yeah. So what was your, uh, what was your first bike? The first bike you got there when you, after you graduated, what was the first bike? I had a Honda shadow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I had a Honda shadow. I bought it for 3,500 bucks. It was my baby. I loved that thing. I still have moments where I dream about that bike just because, you know, it's your first love. So yes, yes. Uh, definitely moments where I wish I still had it in the garage, but maybe I'll get another one of those someday. Okay. And so how long do you go street? How long did you ride on the street before you decided you needed something else? Well, it was kind of a, it kind of happened when I moved out to Bend. Um, I got divorced uh, when I was living in Portland around 2019. So I moved out to Bend kind of to start over. And um, I moved out here at the time. I actually had a F700 GS BMW. Uh, loved my Beamer. But nice. I did some touring and some solo camping just to kind of like get used to being alone and kind of enjoy being by myself for the first time in 10 years. And uh, it was amazing. I fell in love with it. And then I started kind of trekking down some gravel roads and thinking that was fun. And then I made some friends here that had dirt bikes and that was fun. And then the next thing you know, I was an ADV rider and that was, <laughs> so yeah, that's how it happened. I, I think for, for, to me personally, I think, you know, anytime you grew up in an uh, urban area and there's nothing wrong with it, you know, I think about 16 to 18 to about 23 or 24, they all get the, yeah. you know, sport bikes and they rip up and down the town, which is great. Don't get me wrong. And I get it. But and then all of a sudden they stop because they had to get a girlfriend or somebody gets pregnant. Then they got to sell the bike to get money. Blah blah right. blah. And then they quit riding until they get to about forty. Then they get a Harley. And then you know. And then da da da. And I knew I wanted to do something different. And it's just the fact that once I started traveling, like you said, once you start traveling and you get it right, it's the greatest thing ever. So what did you get wrong the first time you traveled a long ways? Because it, it took me a while to get it to where I know how to travel now. But in the beginning, I was like, rain gear? Who needs rain gear? And then all of a sudden, oh, OK, that's why I need rain gear. So wh- how did you uh, how did yeah. you travel wrong in the first place? Rain gear, definitely something I wish I had the first round. Um, I didn't have it either. And then once your stuff is soaked, it's soaked for like three days. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, got to remember that. I think the big thing uh, that I learned was that I didn't need to bring a lot. That was kind of the better lesson. It was, I don't need to pack this much. I can actually get by with way, way less, excuse me. And, um, and that was good to kind of slowly start to learn. Okay. I can cut this. I didn't use it. Okay. I can cut this. I didn't use it. Um, but the big thing I never traveled with that I always travel with now is like a really good off-road toolkit, even just, um, if there's a mishap of sorts, because, Uh, I got away for a lot of years with not having any tools on me and not having any issues. Um, And I thankfully have not had a time where I've been without them, but I would not go anywhere without a good toolkit anymore. Um, I think that's essential no matter what, because you never know where you're going to be when you get a flat or something falls off your bike that you need to reattach or something's going on with your chain or whatever else. And you just got to fix it yourself. I mean, tire pressure is something that a lot of people tend to not think about either. So there's a lot of basics you kind of learn along the way, but yeah, for me, brain gear was one. The other <laughs> thing is um, a good camping pillow 
if you don't have a good camping pillow, you don't sleep. And uh, I learned that and invested in one. And it's it, obviously, I think investing in what you sleep in with your tent is super important. But um, yeah, those are probably my big two as well. <laughs> now, how did like when you camp, do you actually got go to a campground or you just find a place to, to park the bike and go to sleep? It, it completely depends on uh, where I'm at. So a lot of times I'll go to um, campgrounds if that's what's available. The issue with dispersed camping, especially in the West Coast right now, is we have a very large uh, homeless population. And while I do think certain areas are safe, others tend not to be sometimes, especially if you're a solo female traveler. And so you just have to be conscientious. If you are going to do dispersed camping, um, there are great apps on your phone. Like I have iOverlander on my phone, and that is a really great way to find campsites that are kind of all over the place. But when you get up to like BC and Canada, dispersed camping is like pretty much the name of the game. You can camp wherever you want. So uh, you just have to find those areas that, you know, have a good little trail. You can kind of get up to uh, ride down a road, find some quiet. Um, but in general, I think campgrounds are amazing. Um, they're getting more expensive because you have so many more people that are living that lifestyle now. So, you know, intermittently, you know, I try and do dispersed, but um, it just, it, it just really depends. Well, aren't you afraid of waking up next to like a rattler who's trying to get some, you know, warmth or maybe a bear wants to snuggle up against you? Like you're like Goldilocks and he goes, hey, I remember you. Like, are, aren't Honestly, you afraid of that? I'm never afraid of the wildlife. Um, I'm it's more like if I'm in the middle of nowhere by myself, I actually feel super comfortable. And I, I think there's a lot of people where if you kind of get in the habit of pushing yourself the first few times, you start to realize that like being in the middle of nowhere means you are very alone. Now, granted, you do need to be prepared and whatever else, but you run a higher risk of um, somebody else uh, doing something to you when you're in a higher human density of people at a campground than you do when you're by yourself. Um, So yeah, I mean, when I'm in the US and I'm traveling, I do often uh, conceal carry um, if I feel like I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling where I need to have that. And I have knives on me as well, but um, no, in, in the remote wilderness, I actually feel the safest. Like one of my favorite places to camp is in the Badlands desert. That's just outside of Bend. And there's tons of wildlife out there, but no one else is out there. And it's just, it's absolutely beautiful and quiet and fun to be out there by yourself. What's your worst, like creeper stories? Has there ever been where you go, Oh, this, I don't trust this person. Um, I have two stories. I have uh, one that went badly and one that was kind of a turnaround that actually was great. So uh, one of the tips I give a lot of women in particular um, is always leave your helmet locked on your bike somewhere just in case you need to make a, a quick getaway. I started doing this when I did my first big solo trip down the West Coast uh, last October. And I stopped in a town in Northern California that was not super great. I know they've been having a lot of issues with fentanyl and the opioid epidemic and all these other things, just a lot of kind of rumors of that. So me doing any dispersed camping was out of the question. I found a campsite for the night, but I got to town really late. It had been a huge ride day and I popped in and grabbed a beer and some food, walked back out to my bike. And, um, I was confronted by a a gentleman who looked like he was definitely on some sort of something and uh, wouldn't leave me alone. And there was really no one around. So I kind of had to um, get on my bike slowly and keep him distracted. And then I made a break for it and just gunned it out of there with before anything could get weird. Um, you know, you hit situations like that where you just need to be smart. Um, and one of, and the reason I was able to do that is because everything was locked down on my bike and I had my key in my hand. So thankfully it was just a quick turn and I had the throttle and I was out, but, uh, it's always a better way to know that you can get out of there real fast. Um, in case you are dealing with something like that. Um, I had another situation that actually turned out to be kind of hilarious. I was camping in the middle of, I think this was actually in Southern Washington, And it was a dispersed camping site. So middle of nowhere. And I went to the end of the road because I really just wanted to be solo. I'd had a really like rough day. Um, This is actually at a time when my, my, I just bought a Sony a7S III. It had died on me that day. I had to backtrack the next day to go pick up a new one at Best Buy. So I was in a mood of sorts (laughs) and just wanted to be by myself. And 
ended up camping at the end of this rose, beautiful site. And then about an hour before it got dark, two guys came up in a truck to camp and they were definitely giving me kind of like weird vibes at first. And um, then they had another gal come join them. And so I just kind of kept an eye on it. I didn't really feel any red flags, but I really kept to myself. Um, And then one of the uh, guys came over and uh, introduced himself and he was just like, so I don't want to be weird, but like the girl over there follows you on Instagram and she, she knows about you through the community. Can we come hang out with you? And I was just like, yeah. And they came over and they brought beers over and were so nice. So, you know, you have those moments sometimes where you need to be wary of other people, but for the most part, people are awesome and yes. people do just kind of want to connect and hang out. And that was such a good moment for me because I'd had such a bad day to have people come over and be generous and actually want to talk about motorcycles and riding and, and being outside was awesome. And um, so you kind of can get both sides of the coin, yeah. always be prepared, but, you know, never go into it with an attitude that people are out to get you because most of the time they're not. Unless you're riding on the highway and they don't see you or you're in town and they make that left turn yes. in front of you. Then they're yeah. out to get oh, you. Oh, yeah, then I know. The you. left turn. <laughs> but other than that, honestly, you're so right. I, I mean, it's like, especially you being a good looking woman who knows how to ride independent. It's like you're like, you know, like ding, 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 ding. I mean, yeah, you're like a, you're like a superhero. I mean, you really, you should run for president. Who wouldn't like you? <laughs> Democrats, Republicans, independents. I mean, you have every box checked off. I mean, you you write, you're smart. I mean, you're everything. You don't bang it over the head how you're, you know, I'm saying I'm gonna say feminist, but you know, you're all about women power, which is great, but you don't bang your yeah. head with it. You just like, you know, you let it be it's just gradual. You don't like, you know, I'm a feminist, goddamn it. You and you have, you're everything. So I don't know why you don't run for like some public office and make it where motorcycles are mandatory in life. Uh, I would definitely do that. I think, but like so many other people, I have no interest in running for public office because it's public office. I'm sure you probably feel the yeah. same way. <laughs> I'd be but, your running uh, mate. I'll be your running mate. I'll take all the arrows and you can just right. glide through. If life. you want to do that, I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> and I'll, I will make motorcycle riding mandatory. That sounds wonderful. Mandatory. Yeah. What is your, I yeah. always tell people, when you love motorcycles, I mean, the only time you don't want to ride is after a long ride that's been miserable. And you go, man, fuck this. And then about yeah. 10 minutes later, after you dry off or whatever, or maybe get some water or food, you go, all right, I'm good. So what was your most yeah. miserable ride where you went, man, I forget this. My most miserable ride last year was when I was riding along the Oregon coast, um, it was the middle of October and I hit all four seasons of weather in a day. So it was beautiful, kind of like typical fall weather in the morning, fall or spring, same type of temperatures, little chilly, but nice, not too humid. Um, by midday it was 85 degrees and hot. So I was, you know, and I, when I started in the morning was in full gear, had my thermals on whatever else stripped down, all the vents are open at midday, you know, just like trying not to sweat through everything. Um, and it was a big ride day for me. I think I had about 10 hours of riding and then unfortunately right around three o'clock cause I was on the coast. Um, you had a huge squall come in and essentially, the temperature went from being about 75 degrees to 35 degrees and everything on me and on my bike froze. And like my helmet froze shut. Um, my hands were so cold by the time I stopped, it took about 30 minutes for my fingers to thaw out. Um, it was just absolutely miserable. And the problem with sometimes when the storms roll in, the only thing you can do is keep going. So I had 90 minutes of riding, uh, essentially down into Newport, Oregon to get to my spot for the night. And it was just in this freezing, cold, freezing fog, precipitation, half snowing, um, you know, miles per hour were cut in half. Cars were having a hard time getting through it too. The road was getting slippery. It was an absolute nightmare. And that was one of the worst, worst ride evenings I've ever had. I got there, had a bourbon, 
let my body thaw. I actually had to walk into a restaurant with my helmet on because I couldn't get my helmet off. I had to let the actual just like frozen front of it and the visor melt, which was hilarious. I I walk into, I literally walked into um, a little pub with my helmet on and everyone's looking at me and I kind of went over to the bartender and I was like lifting up underneath, like, I'm so sorry, I can't take my helmet off. And he's like, okay, let me get you a hot, wet rag and like put it on the front so it would start to melt. It was hilarious. But at the same time, I was miserable. It was awful. Um, were you 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 hands froze? Were you hand froze? Oh yeah. Like white all the way. Yeah. Yeah, It was brutal, but you know, I got there, I slept. And then first thing in the morning I hit the road and I had some of the most beautiful scenic shots of Oregon I've, I've ever gotten and just ever seen. It was one of the best rides of my life. So it's cool to see how you get those parallels of like absolutely awful riding and then coupled up with best day of riding. I think I had last fall. It was incredible. So yeah. Yeah. That was probably the worst one last year. Well, you've been, I mean, I look at your resume and you've been everywhere from Asia to the Arctic circle. And did you, did you have any interest in the, 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 the movie I I, I sent you in the DM about the, yes. Oh my gosh. I, it's actually on my list to watch tonight. I haven't had time to watch it yet, but it looks awesome. And I'm super interested in it. Yeah. It looks very cool. I wish they I wish they spent more time talking about how they got the bikes developed for it. I mean, it's it's good, but it could have yeah. been better. But still, if you haven't seen it, I was on an airplane on my way over, and mm-hmm. it was on the Siberia. It's a Siberian lake. I think it's like a mile down, and it's. I'm not gonna ruin it for you. You gotta watch it, but man, it's like you just feel her cool. Like, but yeah. I I feel like I want to do it. Like, what is the one ride now that 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 is churning at your heart to do? Like, you go, I gotta do this soon. That's eating at you, eating at your soul. That's really hard. Um, there's so many places. I mean, I want to go ride everywhere. Like a lot of people that love riding as much as I do. We all do. Um, and I've been really fortunate that I've gotten to ride a lot of amazing places. I would really like to go back to Iceland and ride there again. That's probably the top of my list right now. I got to ride there in 2017 and it was incredible. Uh, but I haven't been back since then. Um, other than that though, uh, one of my big objectives within the next couple of years is to try and do a trip through Africa yes. and getting able to the ability to do that, uh, will take a lot of planning and everything else, baby steps, but that is kind of my goal in the next four to five years is to get the full continent of Africa under my belt if I can and ride from either top to bottom or bottom to top. Oh, that's yeah. going to be awesome. I want to ride up. I want to ride Morocco. I think Morocco yeah. would be great to ride the desert. I think it'd be great. What yeah. specifically in Africa that, that, that really turns your crank? Like, I know the whole continent you say, but like where in particular do you really like, you can't wait to see that part of Africa? Morocco is definitely the top of my list. Like, yes. I think like a lot of people, it's just, it's such a beautiful country and the desert calls to a lot of us. I'm obviously a bit of a desert rat living out here, but uh, for me in general, the idea of Africa is just that it's such a, uh, culturally diverse and, um, very environmentally diverse place. Like you're going to get everything there. You're going to get desert jungles. Um, you're going to have tons of rain. You're going to have really, really hot, dry days. It's I think overall, just that idea of being able to conquer so much in one trip and be able to see and experience so much is what calls to me more than anything else, because, you know, obviously getting on crazy roads are fun, Um, it's what you get to also like kind of hand in hand experience while you're on those roads. I think that's more important too. So getting to be able to ride into communities and, um, and, you know, experience what it's like there and have, have that, I, I just, it just calls to me in a way like nothing else. When did you realize like that was your calling? I mean, because I mean, you know, you broke into it eventually step by step, but when did you realize, was it like a moment with an epiphany where you're riding, you go, Yes. Or was it just a matter of just over time, it eventually became who you were? It's an overtime thing for me because I'm I'm obviously a writer. I'm a storyteller. That's that's my thing. That's what I love doing. It's my purpose and my calling in life. Uh, but I also have always loved to travel. Uh, I loved Anthony Bourdain when he was with us. Yes. Um, I was a diehard like so many people. And he was such an inspiration to me in my early 20s to travel as much as I could and experience as much as I could and to push myself a little bit. And um, I did a lot of that. I mean, I've been able to travel to a lot of different places and get a lot of countries and continents under my belt at a young age. 
And then when I started pairing up travel with motorcycle riding, that was essentially when it started for me was just, I loved being that exposed in the elements and that more also exposed to the culture of where I was. And it just slowly over time, everything's kind of morphed together. Like all these different facets of my life just became one thing. And it's been really cool to experience that, especially in the last year as everything has come together. But now it just feels like options are endless for where I can go next, which is an awesome feeling to have. I mean, uh, to me, you're a gold mine. I know you uh, you rep some companies where, I mean, but you're like a gold mine. I mean, it's like you, you know, I mean, you speak well, you you look great, you you actually ride, you know what you're talking about. You're not just a pretty face on, on a motorcycle just posing. Like, I mean, you know what you're doing. Yeah, funny stories. It's like you're a gold mine. So it's like I always want to ask when it, when it comes to this, like, what was your biggest oh shit moment on a bike? We always have those moments on a bike where you go, <gasps> you know, whew, and what was your biggest oh shit moment? I think my biggest oh shit moment was when I was in Vietnam. The first week I was there, I got out with a couple of buddies to do um, about a week of dual sport riding, some single track riding. Yeah. And it was in Northern Vietnam. It's absolutely beautiful. If you ever get the chance to go, please go. But we did a couple of single track days. Now, granted, I'm, I'm a decent ADV rider. I can get through some gnarly stuff. I describe myself as an intermediate level just because I'm one of those people that I don't ever want to do anything that's going to get me hurt, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I take my time. I ride safe. Uh, in this situation, we were ripping around and having fun. And, you know, it just was kind of funny to watch the track. It's smaller and smaller and smaller. And then the next thing you know, we kind of came out of the jungle and there's a sheer drop to our left and then a single track and then a wall. And I, at the time as well, was on a very weighted down 150. And that means I don't have nearly the control of the bike that I normally would. And so I immediately one started sweating through my suit of armor that I was wearing, but two, yeah, had to have that moment of like, shit. Okay. I need my survival adrenaline to kick on and my riding skills to be right here because if I go that way, it's trouble. And if I go this way, it's also trouble. So thankfully I got through it fine. Um, and, and really was able to kind of enjoy the experience, but definitely a moment where you kind of feel your heart beating in your chest and in your ears, just, a little, a little bit of a kick to the ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great, yeah. man. I mean, to me, it looks like, and by the way, I always want to ask you, are you a Gemini? No, I'm a Virgo. What? I'm a pretty hardcore Virgo too. What, what, yeah. month, is, what month is Virgo and what, what's the virtue of Virgo? Um, it's September and a lot of Virgos, I think we're one of the, uh, worst represented signs because a lot of people think of us as being, um, extremely type A and critical. And while we are very type A, uh, I think one of the things that is cool about being a Virgo is just that we're just grounded. We're like a, a really diehard earth sign. So we're grounded in ways in ourselves that a lot of other people aren't, which is, I think where that comes from. So, I mean, while a lot of my life is spent in a lot of uncertainty and upheaval and chaos, which I love, um, I personally feel very grounded in who I am and what I am. And I think that that's kind of a quintessential piece of me. And, and what I, I love about this lifestyle is if you have that in your pocket, you can do whatever you want. So, of course yeah, it's pretty awesome. Of course you can. Of course you can. Yeah. Now, do you have any plans for like another book coming up or anything? Or? Yeah, I do. Actually, I, um, I'm in the final stages of writing a book about my year on the road. So it starts uh, from my journey leaving Bend, Oregon last summer up until finishing the documentary I just filmed uh, in June up to the Arctic Circle and back. So and it's it's a full circle. You know, it follows me out of Oregon, um, follows me traveling through the Western U.S., Canada and Mexico last year, then to Asia and uh, then back here to do a film, a really big film project. So it's it's something I'm super proud of. It's mainly just a lot of short stories from the road. Very some funny, you know, a lot of it, too, is just my journey and my what brought me here and like a lot of people, you know, the pandemic was something that was uh, such a setback and and people really had to put their lives on hold. And I got divorced right before the pandemic hit. So me kind of starting over and having a life that I wanted really kind of got got uh, halted for a bit. And as soon as that changed, I was in motorcycles, I was traveling. And so a lot of the book follows my personal journey of kind of making peace with the past and building a life for myself 
for the first time in my life, in my adult life. And uh, it's been a great journey to be on. And it's really cool to be able to put stories together to share with people that I think uh, aim to inspire others to just know that they can put their minds to things and they can do anything they want to do. Well, you know, honestly, the, I remember just looking at your, you know, your, your site going, I wonder if I should hit her up, whatever, whatever. And the one post on your Instagram, for some reason, that the one talked to me was the picture of you had your septum in your hand about how you yeah. wore that as an act of defiance. And then you realize I don't need it no more. You've, I don't know if you healed it, whatever, but you don't need it anymore. Yeah. You get done away with it. Talk to me about that because I think that's the biggest one for some reason. And I don't know why, but it spoke to me and it made me think like maybe yeah. at one point you, writing was your way of, of getting away from, and, and tell me if I'm wrong or whatever, maybe like I never been married. So maybe that divorce you, I don't know if I, I guess there's a blank, yeah. you know, whatever. So yeah. Tell, talk no, to me I'm about that. happy to tell you about it. So um, I, I was married for, uh, a couple of years and I was, I was together with the same guy for about nine and we just like a lot of people grew apart and, uh, but it was really hard. And he was my writing partner for all of those years too. You know, we did a lot of our trips and things like that together and, and shared a lot of travels together. And, um, but one of, uh, one of the prerequisites he had when we were together, because obviously I started getting tattoos, um, was just that he never liked septum piercings. That was always a no, no. And, uh, I respected that again, like very respectful, like goes back to my parents' story. You know, if somebody has a request, I'll abide by it. But the minute that, um, we split, I went and pierced my septum. Um, because for me, it was an act of defiance of identifying who I was and who I wanted to be. And I wanted to start that journey for myself of who I was by myself. And I had a lot of years where, um, especially when we first, uh, split, you know, you just kind of go through a few months of even just working through accepting that your whole life is different. And then I moved out to bend and then the pandemic hit. And, oh. uh, by the time the pandemic was over, my life was all about motorcycles, but I was still dealing with a lot of, a lot of the pain of what I'd been through and the grief of, of losing somebody that mattered to me very much. And, uh, and it was really kind of cool to spend this last year making peace with the old version of myself and, and really coming to enjoy the new version of who I was, but, and just, just as a solo person. And yeah, I got through my trip, um, in Southeast Asia. And at the end of the trip in Thailand, I just had this moment where I was looking in the mirror and I was like, I you just don't need this anymore. I don't, I don't need this anymore. It doesn't feel like it fits with how I look at myself and it's just something that I don't need. And so I just sat there and I pulled the thing apart and I took it out of my nose and I never thought about it again. Uh, I think just because you hit a certain point, I think when you move into acceptance and and letting go where you just hit a moment of peace. And that's exactly what I found. And taking that septum ring out was that for me. Wow. And was the peace, was it through writing or was it the piece that you finally, how did you come to that piece? I think I came to that piece from spending a year of just being on a motorcycle, uh, mainly alone and being in my own head with my own thoughts and doing my own things. And uh, hold on one second. Um, and I think that being able to have those moments of really struggling alone of, of having to deal with thoughts alone and then getting to experience some of the coolest things I ever had alone on a motorcycle um, really just made me realize how profound of a life I could have. And that was ultimately what led me there was just, I, I didn't, nothing had come to an end. A chapter of my life had ended, but it was a new time and a new chapter for me. And being on a motorcycle is the greatest freedom we have. It really is. There's nothing like it. And that was what sparked the beginning of me evolving to what I am now. It should be an amendment in the constitution. I think um, the motorcycle, it should be like the second yeah. one is you can uh, write down a, a gun. I think that, that, that having a motorcycle should be an amendment in the constitution. I don't know where, but yes. it should be. Yeah, I agree. I think it makes people a lot happier when they have them. So yeah, hopefully someday we can do that. If you run for office, we can make that happen. <laughs> no, you got to run. I'll be your running mate. Ain't nobody voting for me. All but right, you. we can maybe do that. All right, deal. deal. <laughs> okay. What was the first tattoo you got after you came to that freedom? What was the first tattoo you got? 
Um, the first tattoo I got was actually that Van Gogh quote on my back. It was, uh, for my part, I know nothing with any certainty, but the sight of the stars makes me dream. That was the first quote I got. I think I got that quote when I was 22 or 23. So I didn't start putting ink on my body early. It was very, very late in life, but, uh, for a lot of people, but, um, I started with the quote thing and just kind of went with it from there. I'm going to put you on the spot now. What's your top five writing songs for you, for you? Ooh, writing songs. Um, I think, uh, hold on. I'm going to let my puppy outside. She's wandering. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. Don't worry. We're good. Yes. Famous last words. I know. Who let the dogs out? (laughs) My poor basset hound ate something she shouldn't have this weekend. And she's been uh, unfortunately suffering as a result. But I get it. My top five writing songs are, um, I listen to Dragula, Rob Zombie is probably number one. Um, I love having that on there. Um, what else do I have on there? Um, I like listening to occasionally Odessa is like nice, chill writing music. Um, let's see. Man, so many things. I listen to a lot of Nine Inch Nails. So that is added in. I think uh, Bite the Hand That Feeds is one of my favorites. Obviously, being a rebel a little bit, that fits yeah. the the MO that I have. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then classic rock. I mean, I love the Rolling Stones. So I have okay. the Stones on my list all the time. Favorite Rolling Stone uh, song. Favorite Rolling Stone song. Give Me Shelter, probably. Oh, yeah. that's a great one. Yeah. I, I got to go with Sympathy for the Devil. Sympathy for the Devil is probably my second favorite. It's yeah. just those, I think those top five Stone songs are always just, it doesn't matter when you listen to them. They're yes. just always great. Yes. Always, always great. Just that, um, the first couple of chords on Gimme Shelty, like, oh, shit. Know, you so know it's good. coming. Like, yeah. oh, every, every Martin Scorsese movie has that movie, has that song in it. And it's like, yes. Yeah. It sucks you in in the best way. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, I think my last one is Bon Jovi, uh, Dead or Alive. Like that's yes. pretty quick. writing <laughs> song. Yeah, that's on there too. So well, okay, yeah. I give you two suggestions. If you're ever traveling, and you mm-hmm. and when you first wake up, put on Super Tramps. Uh, uh, it was early morning yesterday. I was up yeah. before. The, that, cool, that's, write that down. All right, cool. That, that song, it. when you first get up, I remember I remember being in Nebraska. It's about 7 o'clock, 7.30, and I'm hitting the on-ramp, the off-ramp, and, and that song comes on as the sun's coming. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. That yeah. one and Bruce Brigstein's Gypsy Biker. Oh, oh yes. I love that song. Yes, it's so good. I love Bruce Springsteen. No, He's I love Bruce Springsteen. No, I love him. Yeah. You don't love I love him. <laughs> I got to see him in New Jersey probably about six years ago, and it was so fun. Like, one of my favorite live shows of all time. Very, very cool. Seeing Bruce Springsteen in New Jersey is like seeing Cardi B at a strip club. I mean, that's yeah. where he's at home. Yes, unreal, at um, home. Yeah. Comfortable. Yep. Yeah. Top, yeah, it was such a cool experience. Top five uh, destinations now that you read top five destinations that you want to go to other than the ones we talked about other than Africa or, or Morocco other than yeah the place we talked to top five destinations you really want to go to I want to go back to Southeast Asia and tour Cambodia that's a big one okay um I actually would really like to go tour Greenland um because it's just so profoundly beautiful uh, down to Patagonia. I have not done Patagonia yet in South America. And that is really, really high on my list. Uh, it's definitely something I plan on doing sometime in the next couple of years. And just, uh, I think it'll be one of those life-changing experiences. Um, where else that we haven't talked about? I want to go right in Croatia. I've heard amazing things yes. about the roads there and how beautiful and scenic it is. Uh, and then I think last up is just Australia. I got lucky enough to ride in New Zealand, um, which was really, really fun other than it being so windy. Oh my God. But Australia for me, I think would be such a cool, uh, cool time. And I have some friends that ride down there quite a bit. So I've heard great things about the ADV and off-road riding there. I think you should go to Tasmania while you're there. I mean, it's right next to it, you know? Yes. We'll tag that on for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. When it's all said and done with, I mean, you got everything on your little bio. It says, you know, you're a vi- uh, videographer, you're an author, you're an adventure writer. One word to describe you that you think is the best word to describe you. One word. Well, it's the same word that I use in everything I do. I'm a renegade. 
no matter what, that's just kind of how I am. I, I definitely relate to and define myself as a storyteller, but in everything I do, I am the type of person that likes to do it my own way and forge my own path. And that is what I've essentially done with my life and what I've done with my career and uh, what I do every day, kind of living an unconventional life like this. And I absolutely love it. So that's, that's the one word I would use for myself. I mean, do you realize like the effect you have? And this is another thing how I love about the, the now is that like you have little girls or maybe even who knows middle boys that look up to you right now that you're like kind of their hero. It was one of my favorite parts of Asia, actually. I, I think I touched on it in a post or two. It's definitely something I bring up in my book, uh, which is one of the things that I loved so much was I would get off the bike um, in a smaller town or even a bigger city and little girls with their moms would just, their eyes would like explode looking at me. And the reason I loved that so much is because I just want, especially younger girls to look at me and know that they can do whatever they want to do and they can be who they want to be. And, you know, we haven't all had the same opportunities to get there sometimes in our life, but it doesn't mean you can't change the path you're on and try and forge a new one. And I think being able to show young women that the world is theirs and they can find a way, they just have to be persistent and work hard. That's, that's all I ever want to do. I mean, my, my biggest goal in life is to, to challenge people to chase their dreams, even when it's uncomfortable and even when it is difficult, because the best things in life aren't easy. The best things in life are challenging and they push you further than you think you can go. And that's one of my life missions is to continue to push people to do that. Good for you. Any other like different kind of riding you want to do or give it a shot? Like maybe have a track day on as a, on a motorcycle. Like a, my, my goal for the fall is to get um, at least a week. I think a weekend of track days would be so fun. I was able to do some track days a couple years ago. It's been a long time, but I had so much fun doing it. It just uh, really kind of opens up some different uh, senses in your riding brain that you don't get just road riding or even just doing kind of more casual ADV riding. You know, it just, it really uh, hones in your, your instincts and your riding senses. So that's definitely on my list for the fall as well as just honestly getting back out on the trails. I love here. I'm one of, I'm very fortunate that I know bend very well and being able to rip around here and enjoy myself even just after work for an hour or so is, is what I love doing the most. If you could, how, how many bikes would you own if you could? I mean, if you could have a, you know, an infinite amount of bikes, how many would it be and what would the bikes be? Well, that's the curse is the bike thing is always N plus one, right? It's like, it's always all the bikes you own plus one. Um, and I definitely am one of those people. I, before I left on the trip, I did have, uh, I had a, KTM dirt bike. Um, I still have my Honda. My, my, my Honda is my whole life. It's, it's how I get around and how I do things. But if I had the choice, I would have probably a 250 dirt bike. I'd have my Honda. Um, I would have a little bit bigger of an ADV bike, probably 10 or a 700. And then I'd have a touring bike like the Pan America, the 1250. Um, I think having those different elements of being able to ride and do all those different things would be great. Now, Maybe I'll get something flashy down the road, but those would be my four. Um, like what, I, like I don't kind of ever flashy? plan on selling my Honda. She's kind of been um, my my spirit and soul while I've been on this trip. So that bike will be with me until it doesn't run anymore, yeah. which may not be ever. It's a Honda and they yes. make some of the best engines out there. So, yes. yeah. So uh, what kind of flashy bike would it be? Maybe uh, maybe a Goldwing, you think? Goldwing's not really my style. Um, Nobody wants to admit to a Goldwing. What, no. what would you have done if I said, "Yeah, Goldwing"? Yeah, man, I would have freaked out. Like, are you? Sick? I mean, honestly, but the the ones that are chopped down and blacked out, Honda got yeah. smart. They made it look like halfway, like kind of cool. I mean, they got smart with it because it's a it's a what eighteen hundred engine. I mean, yes. it's got a lot of power. It's just a, it, you know, it's like an old man bike. You got to be like eighty years old yeah. to ride the bikes. But I know, yeah, yeah, that. it's definitely an old man bike. Um, you know, I don't know because flashy bikes have never really been my thing. Yeah. So I'm going to have to think about that one and get back to you. But <laughs> I will say for it being, um, I guess, kind of pushed as an ADV and touring bike, the Pan Americas are very flashy and very fun. And 
at some point I would love to have a very flashy version of that in my garage because they are a blast to ride and so much fun to tour on. And I've been very fortunate when I was actually in Thailand, I got to ride a Pan America for the whole month touring around there and it was great. So that would probably be my flashy bike of choice. <laughs> I love it, man. My God, I had a great time with you, Grace. I knew it was going to be. Yeah. I knew it was going to be. I mean, like I said, I, I looked through the pictures and it was in that it, it was septum when it was one in your hand. I was like, yes, I want to know yeah. about that. And I always want to know if you were getting away from something. And I just felt that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that and your what? and your post today, by the way. And your post yeah, today. <laughs> I know. Those tend to draw a little bit of attention. So, but, yeah, it's, but it's what, just... Um, I don't consider myself a part of uh, the social media culture that identifies as influencer, but I do like to throw some fun things in there from time to time to challenge the <laughs> algorithm. So, yeah. But my favorite quote to one uh, from today, actually, the one you go, age is just a measurement of time. How old are, how old you are is in how often you laugh, play and learn every step of the way. And to me, it reminds me of Satchel Paige at the greatest quote. He goes, if you didn't know how old you were, how old would you be? I think I'm always going to feel like I'm 28. I know that's on, I'm 34, no. but I feel like I halted at that age. And that's kind of how my, the age, my soul feels. Um, I like getting older, contrary to a lot of, uh, what a lot of people feel. Um, to me, every year I get older is a year that I learn more. I get better at doing the things I do and I'm happier just being who I am. But I think I'm always going to feel like I'm in my late 20s because I think when you have that in your heart, it yeah. just never goes away. That's great, man. Honestly, that's awesome. Grace, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Anything you want to plug? Um, if you would like to follow me, I'm on YouTube under The Graceful Renegade. I do a lot of my personal videos there. I'm also on Instagram under The Graceful Renegade. If you would like to work with me, videography, photos, or even just do a ride, um, go to my website, thegracefulrenegade.com and hit me up through there. It'll send me an email, but that's, that's pretty much what I got for you, man. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate that. I'm, I, I subscribed already. I'm following you on YouTube, following your adventures. I love them. Keep doing it, but always keep wearing your helmet there, Grace. Okay. Yeah. Always helmets. Yes, for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a total blast. No, thank you for having me. And uh, sorry about uh, what happened last week, but it wasn't your fault. It was, it was, it was the dog's fault. It was the dog's fault. Yeah, it is. I know. But I you, know. But, we love them, but they do run our lives to a certain degree. <laughs> but you got your dog back and it's all that matters. So Grace, thank you so much for being my guest. I, I wish nothing but the best. Thank you guys for watching Tales from a Gemini. And like I say about this time, you know the word, pay.